1: It's been 3,175 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 256 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday, and the day before, in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian millbloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. due to severe weather in Washington and Indiana in the United States, power and the internet were knocked out concurrently. On top of that, cellular service in parts of Washington was severely degraded because of the windstorm, eliminating a built-in redundancy. Because of force majeure, we were unable to produce the situation report for November 4th or record a podcast for November 5th. Having two of our not-at-all-close-together U.S. locations knocked offline simultaneously by weather was highly unusual. Realistically, there aren't additional redundancies that we can economically add to our infrastructure. As always, we thank you for your understanding. Today's report consolidates information from November 4th and 5th. Events that happened on November 4th will be noted as such. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, We assess that continued attacks on the Black Sea Fleet and Ukraine's recapture of Snake Island have rendered the Russian Navy's presence irrelevant, with missile carriers appearing reluctant to go on patrol beyond the immediate coast of Sevastopol. Second, we assess terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine. Third, we assess that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and is really only capable of mounting effective defensive operations. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is using recently mobilized troops for disorganized ad hoc attacks, wasting military resources on pointless offensive operations, and further assess this has been validated by evidence of catastrophic Russian losses and the deployment of blocking troops. Fifth, We maintain that the so-called evacuations in Kherson have taken a dark turn and appear to be an organized genocide against the Ukrainian people. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces will retreat from the west bank of the Dnipro over the next three to seven weeks. Seventh, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Eighth, we maintain that although the weather has improved in central and western Ukraine, Rasputitsa will continue to slow down combat operations for both belligerents. Ninth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Tenth, we assess that the mobilization of 300,000 troops has not significantly improved Russian combat strength and exposed the training, logistical, and supply problems within the Russian Federation. And finally, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat for an invasion of western Ukraine, but we now assess the possibility has pushed further out to the next 60 to 90 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Live. The Russian Ministry of Defense made an unsupported claim that Ukrainian troops attacked Russian positions near Sukhanova and Sablukivka, while reliable Russian millbloggers did not echo the claims. Russian millblogger Rybar provided their first detailed analysis of the situation in Kherson in weeks and did not mention any Ukrainian offensives. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed thermal anomalies in the Russian-occupied river basin northwest of Milova. This region is somewhat forested and has been targeted by artillery in the past. Reporters with TRT World Now were in Dudchene interviewing Ukrainian soldiers and reported that fighting was, quote, nearby. The GSAFU has a general policy of not allowing reporters within 15 kilometers of the front line, but has made exceptions, typically for larger news organizations. We aren't reading too much into the report, but it does indicate that the news blackout from Kherson is officially over. Also, if the 15-kilometer rule is applied, it implies that Ukrainian forces have moved the line of conflict to Malova. We have not, however, made changes to the map based on that. NASA firms also indicated that the free Ukrainian settlements of Petropovlivka and Viskopilia were recently shelled. Russian sources claim a Ukrainian 152mm self propelled howitzer was destroyed in Maiske. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, the GSAFU, reported that Russian forces shelled Pravdine and Mirne in Mykolaiv. This provides insight that Pravdine remains a no man's land and Ukraine maintains control of Mirne. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Ukrainian ground forces executed 170 fire missions on November 4th and 140 on November 5th. On November 5th, the Ukrainian Air Force carried out suppress and destroy enemy air defense activity near Kherson, Russian positions in Snykhurivka in Mykolaiv, and Heroyske on the Kinburn Spit. Photos from Heroyske indicate a Russian ammunition depot was destroyed in the attack. Convoys of Russian vehicles carrying ammunition were destroyed in the Bereslav and Kherson rayons, and Russian troop positions were attacked in the Bashtanka rayon. Ukrainian forces have increased the targeting of Russian fuel depots, destroying reserves in Novo Vasilivka. Quick sidebar for a vocab word, a rayon is an administrative area similar to a county or parish. The Ukrainian Air Force claimed air defenses shot down two Russian Ka-52 helicopters on November 4th in northern Kherson. We cannot verify the veracity of that report. Russian forces have significantly increased the use of Lancet-3 kamikaze drones, which can carry a 3-kilogram warhead. Ukrainian troop positions and equipment have been attacked in the Berislav Rayon. On November 4th, Russian positions near Chornobaivka were hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. Russian troops waiting to cross the Dnipro from Olkhivka to the East Bank were also attacked on November 4th. The Russian MOD continues to write fan fiction, claiming they can intercept a vast majority of M-30 and M-31 rockets fired by HIMARS. These repeated false claims have been derided by Russian troops, mill bloggers, and the private military company or PMC Wagner Group. Pictures emerged of the aftermath of HIMARS strikes on School Number no. 6 and the Kristi Prudy Hotel used as barracks by Russian forces in Kachovka. A video recorded after the attack showed dead mobics outside the hotel compound and extensive damage to multiple buildings. We do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. Graphic content has been blurred. Residents in Kherson continue to report the sound of explosions outside the city, with Ukrainian forces increasing the number of HIMARS strikes along the Dnipro. In Kochovka, Russian troops continue to build defenses within the city, including building trenches. Russian soldiers removed the remains of a World War II soldier during the work. It was unclear if they were building defensive positions in or near marked grave sites or if they had found a forgotten body. There remains significant confusion about the situation in Kherson. Russian occupation forces have severed all internet and cellular services, significantly reducing social intelligence. On November fourth, Kherson deputy mayor, conspiracy theory enthusiast and collaborator Kirill Stremusov announced a 24-hour curfew was being implemented in Kherson. But just moments later, Stremusov reversed the decree. Cellular subscribers that use Russian services receive a final text urging them to evacuate, claiming Ukraine would start widespread shelling of Kherson on November 6th. Occupation officials have repeatedly stated, without evidence, that Ukraine would attack the city between November 4th and 6th. Ukrainian forces have no economical way to launch artillery attacks on Kherson with NATO 155mm and Soviet-era-based 152mm artillery systems both out of range of the city. Russian forces continue to sink watercraft and pleasure boats in the river port. We've got more information on that in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Satellite images show Russian forces building extensive defenses along the east bank of the Dnipro River and setting conditions for withdrawing from Kherson. It is important to note, however, that the GSAFU maintains that they do not believe that Russian troops will evacuate Kherson. Rockets fired by HIMARS also hit Russian troop concentrations in Tulekivka, Radensk, and Thrubanivka. Forced removals of Ukrainians, as part of ongoing genocide, continued, with the residents of Zavodivka taken to Russian-occupied Crimea for filtration before being sent to the Russian Federation some assessment here, there continue to be no indications that Russian VDV forces in Snichurivka, Bruskinske, and Milova and Russian naval infantry forces west of Kherson have started to retreat or are being replaced by undertrained Mobiks. We continue to believe that Russian forces will leave the west bank of the Dnipro River within the next three to seven weeks in a controlled retreat. Logistics and supply are slowly choking off the ability of Russian ground forces to conduct counter-battery and artillery strikes. And despite the reports of an increasing number of conscripts arriving on the west side of the Dnipro, feeding them and keeping them warm in winter conditions will become increasingly more difficult. On November 4th, a Russian frigate left its dock in Sevastopol, exited the harbor, launched two caliber cruise missiles in the direction of Mykolaiv, And immediately returned to port. Both missiles were shot down along with six Iranian sourced Shahed 136 Kamikaze drones. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has been stabilized. The 750 and 330 kilovolt lines were repaired enabling engineers with Enerchoatom to stop using emergency diesel generators to maintain plant operations and cool the reactors. The 750-kilovolt line is powering reactors 4 through 6, while the 330-kilovolt line is held in reserve. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi reported the 750-kilovolt line was disconnected by Russian forces attacking Ukrainian infrastructure 50 to 60 kilometers from Enerchoatom. It was a rare repudiation of false Russian claims that the November 3rd disconnect was caused by Ukrainian shelling near the plant. Reactors 5 and 6 are in a semi-hot shutdown and continue to provide steam to the site. Energoatom engineers are working to bring both reactors up to hot shutdown. If all goes to plan, Reactor 5 will start supplying electricity to Ukraine using the 750 kilovolt lines. Grossi expressed frustration at stalled talks on creating a demilitarized zone and the continued risk of an accident at ZNPP, while praising Ukrainian operators, saying, The repeated power outages all too clearly demonstrate the extremely serious nuclear safety and security situation this major nuclear power plant is facing. So far, the brave staff of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant have always managed to maintain the safe operation of the six units but it can't go on like this. I have repeatedly called for the urgent establishment of a nuclear safety and security protection zone. End quote. We may owe a small apology to the Russian MOD, but you become very skeptical after they cry wolf too many times and release numerous staged videos. Ukrainian forces released a video showing the special forces of the National Police of Ukraine conducting numerous amphibious and at least one air assault operation. At the 51-second mark in the video, Ukrainian patrol boats were operating in the Dnipro within sight of ZNPP. None of the videos, however, showed large-scale operations like the Russian MOD has claimed. Two Russian missiles struck the city of Dnipro, one hitting electrical infrastructure and the second landing in the middle of a roadway. Video after the attack showed numerous transformer flashes. At the time of recording, there was no information on the extent of damage to electrical infrastructure. Nikopol, Markhanets, and chervonoch were attacked again, with Ukrainian officials alleging the attacks came from Energodar. Nikopol was hit by more than 40 Grad rockets fired by Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. The rockets hit 18 apartment buildings and a lyceum, and damaged electrical and natural gas infrastructure. There were no casualties reported. Quick sidebar for another vocab word, a lyceum is a secondary school typically specializing in art, music, or athletics. Russian forces launched an offensive on Shirbaki, which Ukrainian forces successfully repulsed. It was the first Russian offensive on the Zaporizhia line of conflict since July. We cannot assess if this indicates that Russian Mobics are starting offensive operations in this region or if this was an isolated incident of probing Ukrainian defenses. Ukrainian forces have increased the targeting of Russian positions and troop concentrations near Polohy, In Bassan, 10 pieces of military equipment and up to 50 Russian troops were killed. Near Juliapola, up to 20 pieces of Russian military equipment were destroyed, and 80 Russian soldiers were killed or wounded in Marfopil. On November 4th, a Russian mill blogger reported that Ukraine struck Russian troop positions in Svetlodolinsk, north of Melitopol, and on the ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, to Tokmak. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia Donetsk administrative
0: border to Juliapola, to Orikhiv to Shirbaki. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.
1: Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. After a lull in fighting, Russian forces continued their attacks on Pavlivka. Earlier in the attack, Russian armor was able to advance into the center of the town, with Russian troops abandoning their T-80 BVM tanks. A week of intense fighting has destroyed most of the settlement. Ukrainian forces continued to repel Russian advances on Prechistivka. Russian losses have been catastrophic, with Ukrainian troops continuing to defend the bridgeheads leading to Volidar. The Russian MOD and mill blogger Rybar did not mention fighting in the area in their reports, while Wargonzo noted that attacks continued without any gains by Russian troops. Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops had made incremental gains, retaking some areas they lost on November 4th. Fighting on the eastern edge of novobok continued with no change in the situation. The mercenaries at Wargonzo channeled our writers, stating, quote, the Russian army again tried to break through to Konstantinivka from Novobachmutivka. It has already become a tradition. End quote. Both Ukrainian and Russian sources reported continued fighting in Marinka, with the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, finding no success. The DNR militia launched multiple attacks along a broad front around Novdivka, attempting to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevilske into Perevomaiske toward Opitne, on Ukrainian positions in Avdiivka, and an attempt to advance into Kamyanka. You may be thinking, Wow, that is a lot of offensives. How many of those were successful? No, none. No, none of them. None of them were successful. A police station in central Donetsk was also struck by a rocket, causing significant damage. Russian-occupied Yasunovatsa, three kilometers from the line of conflict, was shelled by Ukrainian forces. A block of apartments in the Leninsky district of Russian-occupied Donetsk was struck in an apparent rocket attack. It was unclear at the time of recording if there were any casualties. Social media videos showed there were additional strikes within the city. The shuttered sterile chemical plant in Horlivka, used to house Russian equipment and troops, was attacked, with at least one building suffering significant damage. On November 4th, the People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Channel claimed their forces destroyed two Polish crabs, 155mm self-propelled howitzers, or SPGs, two M777 artillery pieces, one S-21 Grad MLRS, three tanks, and seven, quote, armored and automotive vehicles, entirely and absolutely without evidence. But wait, there is more fanfiction. fiction. On November 5th, the DNR claimed to have destroyed one 2S152mm SPG, one NATO M109-155mm SPG, one Polish Krabs SPG, one S-21 Grad MLRS, four tanks, and ten units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. On the same day, the Russian MOD reported five Ukrainian tanks destroyed theater-wide and no SPGs. Before we dismiss the claims entirely, the DNR released a video showing laser-guided 152mm Krasnopol shells destroying a Ukrainian SPG. The Russian MOD also released a compilation of lancet 3 drone strikes, including destroying at least two M109 SPGs. Were the videos authentic? Sure. One video was authentically in Zaporizhia, and the other was authentically earlier in the year, based on weather conditions. Some quick assessment here. Krasnopol laser-guided shells require support from Orlan-30 drones to provide guidance and paint a target, so to speak. The reintroduction of Krasnopol 152 millimeter shells with demonstrated accuracy indicates that Russian military contractors have been able to produce a new group of Orlan-30 drones. Not to be mean or anything, but we find it highly unlikely that the DNR militia destroyed five SPGs in 48 hours, in addition to two S-21 Grad MLRS platforms and two M777 artillery pieces. Over the previous two days, Ukrainian forces completed 489 fire missions, with 298 of them conducted on November 4th. Russian forces struck a large Ukrainian ammunition depot in Pokrovsk using S-300 anti-aircraft missiles for a ground attack, creating a large fire with multiple secondary explosions. Ukrainian officials did not acknowledge that an ammunition depot was destroyed, reporting a school and 22 homes were damaged in a rocket attack, killing one and injuring six. The truth matters, and the video evidence is conclusive. It remains possible a school was also destroyed in the attack that used six missiles. The S-300 is not very accurate when used for ground attacks. Under the presence of intense security, the self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushlin, visited newly constructed apartments in Mariupol as part of a public relations tour. The Russian Federation has built several blocks of apartments in the city, with units assigned to collaborators Gauleiter family members and occupation forces. The truth matters. As part of his tour, Puschelin talked to city residents, with some looking terrified as they answered questions while surrounded by his equally nervous-looking security detail. Insurgents report that the city is being flooded with troops and military equipment, with large quantities of hardware, munitions, and weapons being shipped in unmarked civilian trucks. A similar convoy was spotted in Ilovaisk. The traffic at the Russia border checkpoint in Uspenka has cleared after days of backups stretching for kilometers. DNR officials report that Oleksandr Nikulin, justice of the Supreme Court of the self-declared DNR, barely survived an assassination attempt. Nikulin, who presided over the kangaroo court that sentenced two Ukrainian marines and one Ukrainian soldier to death, on false charges of being foreign mercenaries and terrorists, was shot in Russian-occupied Vulekhirsk. He is reportedly in critical condition and, quote, fighting for his life. In northeast Donetsk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting on the eastern outskirts of Bakhmut with no change in the situation. Fighting east of the city is brutal, with both belligerents holding defensive lines that look more like the early 20th century than the early 21st. A video of a Russian airplane being shot down east of Bakhmut provided a reminder that this is, in fact, 2022. PMC-Wagner Group must have sent a fresh group of convict units to the front, with attempted advances on Ivanhrad, Klishayivka and Ozarianivka, without success. One Russian mill blogger claimed Russian forces had marginal success, while a Ukrainian source reported that PMC Wagner suffered significant losses while making no gains. Further south, the DNR militia continued fighting near the train station in Mayorsk while making no territorial gains. North of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner continued to attempt to bypass the Ukrainian defense in Solidar by attacking Bakhmutska and Yakovlivka. The situation remains unchanged despite the massive amounts of manpower that has been pushed towards Soledar since July. On the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border west of Popazna, Ukrainian forces defended Spirna. Additionally, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Berestova, providing the first acknowledgement that Ukrainian forces have retaken at least part of the settlement on the T-1302 highway. A Russian mill blogger claimed that members of the Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, attempted to advance on Virchno-Kamyanskya without success. Moving on to Luhansk, PMC Wagner's role continues to expand, with Ukrainian sources reporting a failed attack on Bilohorivka in Luhansk, and Russian sources reporting the attack was led by the private military company. Russian troops attempted to advance on Yampolivka through the forested areas west of Kremina without success. A Russian offensive operation near Makayivka ended in total disaster. Russian sources and family members from the Voronezh Oblast of Russia reported that of 570 Mobiks in a battalion tactical group, only 48 survived, with 19 of them wounded. According to family members, the Mobiks were conscripted on October 12th. One of the survivors, Russian serviceman Alexey Agafonov, said they were sent forward on November 1st and told to dig in with only 3 spades for the entire battalion. On November 2nd, Ukrainian forces launched an offensive with artillery, rockets, and helicopters, completely obliterating the unit. Family members accused the Russian MOD of not providing adequate training, equipment, weapons, or food to their husbands and sons before the unit was completely destroyed. Family members were protesting outside of government offices in Voronezh, demanding answers on the status of their relatives. It is the worst verifiable single-day, single-unit loss Russian forces have suffered since May 8. Russian forces attempted another assault on Lakievka on November 5 and remained unsuccessful. In Svatov, Warehouses allegedly holding Russian military equipment were destroyed by rockets fired by HIMARS. Pictures showing the aftermath were consistent with a HIMARS strike but did not indicate that military vehicles or ammunition were stored in the location. Drone video on November fourth confirmed that Ukrainian forces had reached the western edge of Ploshanka. Ukrainian troops emerged from the tree line and engaged with at least two Russian tanks at point-blank range with anti-tank weapons. In the video, one tank was destroyed, with the second fired on from under 100 meters. Both Russian and Ukrainian sources report that fighting has been light over the last 48 hours compared to the previous two weeks, using the words, quote, quieting down. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. There were no credible reports of fighting on the short line of conflict in Kharkiv, where 25 settlements remain under Russian control. The Ukrainian military engaged in psychological warfare, firing artillery shells across the Russian positions with leaflets explaining how to surrender. The leaflet stated, quote, We can inform our enemy that he can surrender on our land. Soldiers will be treated normally in accordance with humanitarian law. We are calling on the Russians to evade conscription and surrender to Ukrainians because it is better than dying from the devastating fire of our artillery. End quote. And provided information on how exactly they could surrender. Video from Oskil shows that the reservoir, which once was 85 kilometers long and 4 kilometers wide, has completely drained away. After Russian forces destroyed the dam in early September during their retreat from Izum. In the Chernev and Sumy region, Dmitry Živitsky, Sumi Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Midopilia, Krasnopilia, Seredina Buda, Khotin, and Bilopilia were hit by artillery shells and mortars fired from across the Russian border. In Bilopilia, three homes were damaged. In Seredina Buda, mortars caused major damage to four homes. And Russian forces used drones to drop two IEDs on Krasnopilia without causing any damage. In the Snobnov Russian troops and the Ukrainian Territorial Guard exchanged gunfire and rocket-propelled grenades in two border villages. There were no injuries. In the Shalikhinhromada, there was also a border skirmish, with Russian and Ukrainian forces exchanging small arms fire. Russia launched one of the largest cross-border bombardments into the Chernyov Oblast in months, striking the settlements of Khrynivka, Lyskivshina, Karpovici, Timonovici, and Leonivka on November 4th, and Mikulaivka and Senkivka on November 5th. There were no reports of significant damage. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, the Russian Ministry of Defense released a video of a Lancet 3 kamikaze drone striking a Ukrainian Yurza M-class gunboat. It is unclear when and where the attack happened. In western and central Ukraine, Serhiy Bursov, Vinnytsia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that multiple Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drones attacked critical infrastructure. It is likely the area hit was related to energy or water infrastructure— with the Russian MOD intent on destroying the Ukrainian electrical grid as they did in Syria and Chechnya. In Rivna, an unknown person threw a hand grenade into a playground. The blast wounded three people, including a child. A suspect has not been identified, and it is unclear what the attack's motive was. Ukrainian officials have not called it an act of terrorism as of the time of recording. On the Russian front, Russian sources claim Ukraine shelled the border village of Guevo, knocking out electrical power and damaging several homes. There were no injuries reported. In Kastroma, 23-year-old Ukraine war veteran Stanislav Yonkin got into a fight in the Polygon Café and Club and fired a flare gun into the ceiling. The ceiling erupted into flames, trapping occupants that watched the fire spread in stunned amazement. Fifteen people were killed, and the building was destroyed in the fire. Yankin fled the scene after setting the building ablaze and has been arrested, according to Russian authorities. Members of a resistance organization in Russia destroyed an electrical substation and railroad switching gear in Nizhny Novgorod. The opposition forces released a video showing multiple transformers and railroad switches being destroyed across
0: Russia, with the location in Nizhny Novgorod geolocated. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk
1: about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. First, a quick errors and omissions. We had reported that General Atomic stated an agreement had been reached to provide Ukraine with MQ-9 Gray Eagle drones. The capabilities and drone type were correct, but the MQ-9 is a Reaper, not a Gray Eagle. Once again, we thank you for your understanding. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held a three-hour Supreme Commander-in-Chief staff meeting with the heads of the military, national police, and intelligence agencies. The leaders discussed the situation on the front air defenses, and providing equipment and ammunition to Ukrainian troops. Just a quick note here. Although these meetings have preceded large offensives in the past, this has only happened when the Ukrainian government has not provided a public readout. Elon Musk and Starlink are in the headlines again due to terminals being disabled, days after Musk tweeted that he would continue to provide service after getting into an online kerfuffle with Ukrainian officials and the Pentagon. The Pentagon, the Netherlands, and the Czech Republic announced the three nations were collaborating to provide 90 of, quote, the most advanced tanks on the battlefield in Ukraine. The NATO partners are dividing the costs of modernizing the donated Czech T-72B tanks with better engines, thermal sights, fire control systems, and reactive armor. The first batch of tanks will be available for deployment before the end of the year. Concurrent with the announcement of providing aid to refurbish 45 of the 90 tanks, Dutch officials announced an additional 75 million euros in military aid. The United States Department of Defense announced a $400 million military aid package to Ukraine as part of the already authorized Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. The package includes funding to refurbish Hawk air defense missiles for inclusion in future presidential drawdown packages, Funding to refurbish 45 of the previously mentioned Czech T-72B tanks, 1,100 Phoenix Ghost tactical unmanned aerial systems, 40 armored riverine boats, funding to refurbish 215 M1117 armored security vehicles for future drawdown packages, tactical secure communications systems, funding for training, maintenance, and equipment sustainment. The United States has provided $18.9 billion in military aid to Ukraine since January 20, 2021, and $21 billion since 2014. The Spanish Ministry of Defense announced it was providing Ukraine with four I-Hawk air defense systems and one Spada 2000 air defense battery. The equipment was already en route and in Poland at the time of the November 2nd announcement. Ukroboronprom announced it has established the production of 120mm mortars and 122mm and 152mm shells for use by the Ukrainian military. It had been previously announced that Ukraine was working with an unnamed partner nation to start ammunition production outside of Ukraine. The shell design has passed testing, with 120mm mortars already in production. In-house production of 122mm and 152mm shells is hoped to ramp up by early spring. The United Kingdom has sent 195,000 sets of winter uniforms to Ukraine. Each set represents more than 40 items and NATO-standard first aid kits. Germany has sent more than 440,000 items, and previous United States military aid packages announced in the late summer and early fall also included winter gear. Ukrainian officials reported that 1,300 Starlink terminals, purchased using private funds from a British company, were disabled on October 24th without notice, impacting military operations. SpaceX was charging the Ukrainian government $2,500 a month for each terminal. That's almost $20 million, which Ukraine paid through September. This contradicts Musk's online accusations that he was providing the service completely free and losing $100 million a year on almost 25,000 Starlink terminals. The Ukrainian government could not meet the October payment, and the terminals were shut off, even after Musk vowed to continue to provide Starlink service. SpaceX, Starlink, the Pentagon, Musk, and the Ukrainian government refused to comment on the situation. Satellite images showed a train crossing the Tumen River from North Korea into Russia, which was considered highly unusual. Western intelligence agencies believe the train is carrying munitions and potentially small arms to support the Russian Federation, which is suffering from shortages of both due to consumption and corruption. In what may be one of the most bizarre payments for artillery shells in modern history, Russia reportedly sent a train back to North Korea full of thoroughbred racehorses. United States officials reported on Friday there was no evidence that a transaction between Russia and North Korea for munitions has been made, and currently there aren't any North Korean weapons in Ukraine. The Iranian government acknowledged that it had supplied drones to Russia, but claimed that it was a limited quantity and they were shipped months before the war. Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdolian told reporters about the shipments just days after denying on national television that Iran had any involvement. Ole Nikolenko, spokesperson for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, wrote on his Facebook page, quote, Ukraine has been taught to trust only the facts. Therefore, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Dmitry Kuleba, in close coordination with the relevant Ukrainian agencies, will continue to take the most severe measures possible to prevent Russia from using Iranian weapons to kill Ukrainians and destroy our critical infrastructure. End quote. He further warned that the long-term harm to Iran would outweigh the short-term benefits of supporting Russia with military hardware. President Zelensky dismissed Iran's claim that it had only provided a small number of drones as a falsehood, saying, quote, We shoot down at least 10 Iranian drones every day, yet the Iranian regime claims that it supplied Russia with only a small number of them, end quote, In October, it is estimated Russia launched more than 400 Shahed-136 drones, with Ukraine shooting down almost 300. Russian Mobics are arriving in Belarus to replenish forces positioned north of Ukraine and for training programs expected to last two to three weeks. Satellite images showed a significant number of Russian forces arriving in the Baranovichi region of Belarus. The location is northeast of Brest and sits on a potential ground line of communication called a GLOC. remember that's a supply line, for a Russian-led invasion into western Ukraine. Satellite images suggest a full brigade has been deployed with 40 to 60 infantry fighting vehicles and 60 to 80 supporting cargo trucks. The British Defense Intelligence Agency reported that the Russian troops had been sent to Belarus for training, because the Russian MOD did not have enough resources, trainers, or facilities to support ongoing partial mobilization and the previously planned conscription of 120,000 troops. President Zelensky announced a new fundraising campaign on the United 24 platform to purchase a fleet of unmanned surface vessels similar to the ones used to attack the Black Sea Fleet. It is reported that the new commander of Russia's Central Command is Major General Alexander Linkov. Linkov replaces Colonel General Alexander Lapin, who was relieved of command after failing to defend the Luhansk administrative border effectively. Lapin had become a target of Putin's inner circle as a scapegoat for the losses in Kharkiv that spilled over into Donetsk and Luhansk, despite leading the only successful military campaign of Russia's special military operation, securing the Luhansk Oblast in early July. At a joint press conference with Andrei Yermak, the head of the office of the President of Ukraine, and United States National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Yermak said that Kyiv has a clear vision of what victory looks like and has shared that with its partners, including the United States. Turkey remains the only nation yet to ratify NATO membership for Sweden and Finland and has not signaled that a vote is imminent to clear the final hurdle. A third United States nuclear ballistic submarine made its presence known in the Mediterranean. The USS Rhode Island sailed into the sea on the surface and is considered the world's largest fully operational carrier of nuclear weapons on the planet. The United States has been making clear its deterrence in the region after the Kremlin threatened to use tactical nuclear weapons in late September. Those threats have since been walked back. For now. Speaking of walking back, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The Russian people crowdsourced 81 civilian off-road vehicles, mostly vans, for use by Russian troops on the front. Most vehicles are variants of the UAZ-SGR, derisively called Scooby-Doo vans on social media. The vans are as reliable as a Soviet tractor, but provide no armor protection or resistance to mines— and don't come with any Scooby Snacks. ruh <laughs> Okay, sorry, sorry, I won't do that again. In Kazan, riots among Mobiks over conditions and a lack of training are expanding, with groups of up to 2,000 trainees defying OMON riot police. In the village of Pestunovo Bilgorod, an abandoned school was burned to the ground. Suspicious and frustrated local residents suspect the arson was committed by Mobics or by people trying to interfere with the training and deployment of Russian troops. British Defense Intelligence validated our previous report that Russian forces are using blocking troops. What, you ask, are blocking troops? They are a second echelon behind the frontline soldiers charged with shooting anyone retreating from battle against orders or attempting to surrender. The Russian MOD has used blocking forces in the post-Soviet era and has reportedly used blocking forces previously in Ukraine. Chechen forces in Kherson were reportedly deployed in early October to serve as blocking forces and have gotten into shootouts with Russian units. UK intelligence also reported that Russian generals had requested the deployment of blocking forces and the authority to shoot deserters, forcing Mobics to hold their positions until death. Russian media outlet Astra reported that the number of prison camps for Russian refuseniks was expanding. Conscripts report that refuseniks and deserters were being held in underground cells where they were threatened and tortured. Relatives of the detained who returned to the front claim that prisoners were told, quote, we will shoot you and throw you into a pit, but we will inform your relatives that you are missing, end quote. The Russian embassy in North Korea reported they are negotiating with North Korea for winter weather clothing and boots for troops. It's November, and Russia is still looking for winter weather gear for its troops and is asking North Korea for aid. Really? Is everything still going to plan? (laughs) In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. In Skadovsk-Herson, Russian occupation officials publicly hung 56-year-old nurse Tetyana Mudrienko for expressing pro-Ukrainian views. Local residents said that after Mudrienko declared, quote, Skadovsk is Ukraine, Russian troops dragged her through the streets and issued the extrajudicial execution without trial. Russian troops looted the regional art museum in shovkonenko Kherson, stealing over 12,000 pieces of art. Before 2022, it was one of the largest art collections in Ukraine— Ukrainian war crimes investigators found the bodies of three civilians who Russian troops had executed during the occupation of Viskopilya in Kherson. Their bodies are being sent for forensic examination, identification, and to establish the circumstances that led to their deaths. According to the Human Rights Commissioner of the Verkhovna Rada, Dmytro Lubinets, Russian forces have illegally deported orphans aged 9 to 17 from the Kiev boarding school to a mental hospital in Simferopol, part of Russian-occupied Crimea. Lubinets accused Russia of genocide for deporting the children into Russian custody. Ukrainian officials report that the vessels being sunk at the river port in Kherson by Russian forces have leaked 10 tons of diesel fuel, gasoline, and lubricants into the Dnipro River, creating an ecological disaster. Local officials are worried that the impact could last for decades because of low circulation in the port area. In geopolitical news, the ambassador of the European Union to Ukraine, Mati Masikas, met with the deputy prime minister for European and Euro-Atlantic integration, Olha Stefanashina, and reported that Ukraine had made quote, solid progress in delivering on the seven requirements quote, on Ukraine's path to European Union membership. United States Congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican from Georgia, vowed that if Republicans take control of the House and Senate after the November 8th midterm elections, quote, not another penny will go to Ukraine, end quote, to thunderous applause. Potential future Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, has signaled that he would take a critical look at future aid packages, while Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, vowed under his leadership the Senate would continue to support Ukraine. Kremlin watchers believe that part of President Putin's strategy is to install a pro-Russian U.S. government in Congress, which will reduce or ultimately cut military and financial aid to the European nation. Both far-left members of the Democratic Party and the MAGA-wing of the Republican Party have criticized financial aid to Ukraine. Security experts have noted a dramatic increase in Russian bots and misinformation campaign in the second half of October in an attempt to manipulate the United States' elections. Minority Serbs that live in the semi-independent state of Kosovo quit their government jobs in protest of an order for Kosovo residents to start using Serbian license plates. This is the second flare-up in the last three months between the two nations due to a long-running dispute over car tabs. Kosovo Prime Minister Albin Kurti urged the Serbs not to, quote, boycott or abandon Kosovo's institutions, they serve all of us, every single one of you. Don't fall prey to political manipulations and geopolitical games. End quote. Serbia has a large pro Russian population, and the Russian FSB is believed to be fomenting unrest. The NATO led Kosovo Force, or KFOR, issued a statement about the renewed crisis, saying, quote, We are monitoring the situation and we are cooperating closely with leaders in Belgrade and Pristina. As well as with our international partners to maintain a safe and secure environment for all people in Kosovo. We urge everyone to address and discuss differences through constructive dialogue. End quote. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.
0: You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.